With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday. Thank you for joining us. Royce White back in town with us in studio. Round of applause for Royce White. Uh, Royce was in Memphis over the weekend playing a little basketball in the big three. Did you guys win, Royce? We won. Did you play well? I played pretty well. I, could, I always feel like I could play better, but I played pretty well. Did you enjoy Memphis? I enjoyed Memphis. I enjoyed Memphis. I, I had a good message for the weekend. Uh, uh, MLK was Republican, and the black folks in, in Memphis were supportive of it, so I'm happy. Did you get any good Memphis barbecue while you were I there? did. I did eat some Memphis barbecue. I forgot where it was from. Somebody grabbed it for me, but I, I can't uh, shamelessly plug anywhere, but it was good. All right, so Royce over in Memphis. You made it out alive. That's good. Yeah. Uh, you're back on safe territory. <laughs> I think you're in, ah, anyway, I'll leave it alone. Memphis is a great city. Uh, Steve Kim's going to uh, join us today, as well Delano Squires. We'll talk initially about uh, Charles Barkley and some comments he had to say in support of the Alphabet Mafia. I've got a theory on where that's coming from. I can't wait to get Royce's reaction to that. And I can't wait to get Steve Kim's take on all of that. Uh, then Delano will join us uh, and we'll talk a little politics. Vivek, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy had a big weekend starting on Friday at uh, the Blazes Summit, Presidential Summit. I hope you guys tuned in and saw that first-class event. Uh, Delano was a part of that coverage. Vivek comes out of that to me as the clear-cut favorite to be the vice presidential candidate uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, he was the star of that deal. Uh, Ron DeSantis continues to struggle and get his campaign off the ground. We'll get Delano's take on that, get Royce's take on that. Why is uh, Ron DeSantis struggling? And just how seriously should we take Vivek uh, Ramaswamy? We'll discuss all that. And then Royce and I will have a discussion on the other presidential candidate that's making a lot of noise, Robert Kennedy Jr. My God, this dude uh, basically said that uh, COVID-19 is a bioweapon that takes it easy on the Chinese and Jewish people and people's heads exploded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it went off and it's like, Woo, you want to talk about a threat to the establishment. It seems to be RFK Jr. Uh, so we'll get into that with, with Royce at the end of today's show. But I, I, want, to, I want to start here with uh, Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley uh, was out at some event and uh, promoting Bud Light and the LGBTQ. It's not the first time he's done it, but here's what he had to say over the weekend. Let's play the clip. I want y'all to drink this beer. 
I want y'all to drink this beer. I got three cases of Bud Light. Hey, and I want to say this. If you're gay, bless you. If you're transgender, bless you. And if you have a problem with that, That's Charles Barkley doubling down on something he said six months ago, a year ago. Let's play the old clip of Chuck at a party, uh, leaving out the Bud Light, but saying virtually the exact same thing. I want to say this. If you're gay and transgender, I love you. Hey, and if anybody gives you shit, you tell him Charles said, you. So this is going to be slightly difficult for me because uh, I'm a Charles Barkley fan. Uh, in previous years, I've been friendly with Charles. Uh, since moving out of corporate media, I don't see Charles nearly as often as I used to, don't, don't text with him as often as I used to. I, I still enjoy Charles Barkley's commentary on TNT, and, and I still have uh, a modicum of, of great respect for Charles Barkley, but I'm seeing Charles pivot like I'm seeing all celebrities and influencers pivot and somebody has stressed to them that supporting the Alphabet Mafia is central to their continued success as an influencer, as a celebrity, as a high-paid broadcaster, and Charles has fallen into line. And, and so w when I saw this, Royce, and we'll bring Steve Kim in as well quickly, but when I, when I saw this and him doubling down, to, this is where my mind went, Royce. It was like, everybody's trying to figure out all this money we've pr printed. Where is it going? And it's, it, everybody said it's basically going to one direction. The rich are getting richer. It's not trickling down. And then I look at all these broadcasters that are getting paid millions upon millions of dollars. Stephen A. Smith, and, and I'm not picking on Stephen A. Smith, I'm just pointing out, getting paid $10, $12 million a year for a television show that draws 400,000 viewers. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not saying that to belittle Stephen A. Smith or, or Skip Bayless, getting paid $8 million to draw 150,000 viewers. These type numbers previously would get you canceled or fired and, and laughed off the air. And I get that FS1 is a struggling network and they're trying to elevate but even ESPN's numbers, 400,000, PTI used to draw a million and a half, no problem, in its heyday. And so how all of these numbers are shrinking in terms of their reach and influences, but the contracts for the uh, people talking are growing, going the opposite direction. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and I think, Roy's when I think of all this money that has been flooded into the market and I look at athletes, NBA players, NFL players, they're all getting paid more and more and more and more money, but the ratings and the impact 
aren't the same. They're going the opposite direction. And it's like the money's being printed. There's more TV networks. There's more celebrities. There's more people that are all being used to promote the Great Reset and a new normal. Yeah. And so it costs more money because there's more people. And then whoever's the highest profile ones, you got to pay them even more. But it's like everybody's being paid off to trumpet one message. Anything that leads to death, anything that hurts reproduction, you can get paid for lots of money for promoting. Anything that promotes vaccines that perhaps uh, contribute to autism, that perhaps slow reproductive or make you less fertile, or anything that may put you in a grave earlier, or abortion, or homosexuality. You yeah. can't create scissoring. You can't create a kid. Jamming something in someone's rear end. You can't create a kid. We're, a lot of money seems to be paid to influencers and celebrities to promote this lifestyle and make it the new normal. And everybody has taken the bag to promote this message. And, and that's when you're sitting around thinking, why are they printing all this money? And it's just, they got more people they have to bribe. And the elites don't mind, the people in Rothschilds, uh, whoever's in control of the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. those people, they don't mind paying a handful, a small, you know, it seems like a lot, but it's really just a small handful of influencers paying them large sums of money to promote their message that's where I think this is coming from. I don't think 10 years ago, Charles Barkley would be at nightclubs drunkenly saying, drink this Bud Light, and if you got a problem with transvestites, if a transvestite licked Charles Barkley in the ear 10 years ago, that dude would have got beat up. Now I'm not sure what would happen. Yeah. Well, Charles might like it now. People can change. Look, I'm a fan of Charles Barkley. When I was in college, my game was compared to Charles Barkley. I think he's a little bit shorter than I am, but big, physical, power forward, could handle the ball. Um, and, and Charles did the coverage for my NCAA tournament run when we played against Kentucky and, and UConn. And he was very favorable and very complimentary of my game. And that meant a lot coming from a Hall of Famer. Charles Barkley is one of the, one of the best power forwards of all time, bar none. So you can't take anything away from him. And a lot of people admire him. And for a time, you know, his brash style was one where he was willing to say things that weren't on script, right? He was one of the original off the script on air commentators in, in the basketball world. But I think a lot of the respect for him lingers on from that time. And, and we don't see the same Charles today. In fact, I don't know who Charles Barkley is. I, honestly, Jason, nowadays when I'm, when I'm out and about, when I leave the house, when I watch things on the internet, I start to wonder are half of these people even real people? not just the people on TV, but just in general. Are half of these people even real people? Because that's how strange the things they do are. That's how misaligned they are from who they previously were, or just rational common sense. Um, but but what, you, what you're explaining with the, with the banking piece is, you know, this is the international banking cartel. And I think people have trouble coming to grips with just how powerful and influential money is. Us Christians don't really have a problem with that, although we have trouble following through and, and behaving like we understand. But this is inflation. 
mark of the beast, satanic revolution. And you could look at 2009, the financial crisis as a, as a pilot to see if the American people or if people all around the world were willing to get stiffed by this international banking cartel in exchange for radical materialism. And everybody was, for the most part. Few people revolted, but I mean, a few people pushed back, but ultimately everybody said, hey, you guys screwed us out of money. We'll take that in exchange for the posh, uh, prosperous, uh, high-tech life that you are giving us now back in 2010 and are willing to give us or promote that you'll give us in the future. Steve, I'm expecting you to come at this from a slightly different angle. And so I, I just, is Charles Barkley, is this the same guy that, that we knew 10, 15 years ago? Is he pivoting and just more sticking to the script? No, first of all, good Monday to everybody. Well, look, this is what he's doing. This is a very, very um, simple thing. He's ensuring his employment in media. As much as he says he doesn't have that much left, look, everyone lives a certain lifestyle. They're used to earning a certain amount of money. And that's his right as an American to say, you know what, I want to keep earning money. And for him to have a place in corporate legacy media, because I don't get the sense he's ever going to start his own YouTube channel, that he has to now pivot towards it. This is the truth. So he's making sure that he's now coloring within those lines. And this is where Charles needs to take a business class. Uh, first of all, the issue is not with transgenders or gays drinking Bud Light. Uh, I think it's the 99% the rest of America that has said no. They're the ones who are shunning it. So he doesn't even understand what is taking place. But again, he lives upon the ivory tower. I have admired Charles Barkley for years. I believe he's the most honest, blunt guy in mainstream media. Okay, but again, take a look at that last line, in mainstream media. He's only as honest as he's allowed to be, and now he's being forced to pivot a certain direction. But, but I do have a question, Jason, and, and <laughs> um, is he more prone to date a black woman or a transgender? Let's see how far, how much does he really mean when he's really supporting these individuals? I mean, how down are you with the cop there, Chuck? <laughs> yeah, I want that. <laughs> you did go there. Listen, I told y'all from the jump, this would be a little bit difficult for me because I like and respect Charles. What do I? Steve, and, and, and Steve, and then Royce, I want you to follow in, but Hey, man, how much money do you need? I mean, this guy's been making millions upon millions of dollars for a long time. He's financially set, you know, ensuring his employment. And so that, to me, I don't think it's a money thing. I think it's addicted to celebrity thing. People fall in love with being treated a certain way when they're out in public, when they go to a restaurant. They got this whole little group of friends. We're all celebrities together. And they can't, they don't want to live outside that little bubble world that they've created. I'm a weirdo. I'm, I'm willing to admit this. This isn't, this isn't me patting myself on the back. But I, I knew and had access to all of these people. What makes me weird is that I actually would prefer 
and do prefer to hang out with Chuck Kelly, Frank Barnes, Ralph Wise, Todd Fennell, Stan Young, Tim Walton, Paris McCurry, these guys I went to college with. I, I much prefer hanging out with my mother, brother, sister, uh, the people I work with. I don't, th there was nothing extra enjoyable about being in a room with so-called celebrities or tall athletes. And at one point, me and Derek Thomas were friends when he was alive. But it was a genuine friendship. But even at that, if if I had a choice between like, hey, uh, Derek Thomas wants to go down to Louisiana. We t went down one time to with Neil Smith's parent. If my boys were doing something, I'd rather do that than some celebrity. And and that's I see the addiction to fame more than the addiction to the money. How much money does Charles Barkley need? No, I look, I think you make a good point, but everyone's a little bit of King Lear. They all want more gold. I mean, do Bill Gates and Warren Buffett need to earn another dime? But they don't go out of business. They don't all of a sudden stop whatever they're doing in terms of their industry. They set up shop every day and they are capitalists, whether they want to admit it or not. Here's my biggest problem with Charles Barkley. You are allowed to have your beliefs. You can embrace whoever you want. But when you start using your pulpit and your stage and your platform to try to guilt other people into believing what you believe or whatever forced agenda that you are now pushing for your own good, I, I find that to be contemptible. It's like being at Baskin Robbins. You know Baskin Robbins. It's an American tradition. I guess they still have 31 scoops. Now, if I'm at my table... And all I want is mint and chocolate chip, okay? And then I see Charles Barkley at the other side of the, uh, the thing, and he's got trans chip. You know what? I'm not going to have a problem with him having trans chip in Rocky Road until he comes over to my table, and I'll be like, oh, Sir Charles is coming. And he drops his trans chip right on my cone. I'd be like, time out, time out. Now, now, now you are now violating my space and my ability and my freedom to have my thoughts. Charles is allowed to go out there. He can dress up like a gay unicorn and do these gay pride parades. I would not care. In fact, you know, maybe he's preparing for RuPaul to be the next panelist on Inside the NBA. That's fine. But for him to start to wag the finger at the good people of America, that's where I draw the lines. Like, Charles, you are now stepping out of bounds. See, I don't... I agree with all that, but my I don't think Charles believes what he's saying. His whole career has been based on authenticity. I, this whole I love gays and transgender, you know, and I'll probably never get invited to another Charles Barkley hosted party. I, I've been to some. I wonder how many gays and transgenders will be there at his next party. If, if, if I just don't think he authentically believes this. This is just something he has to say. It's hard to say. I think you make a great point about um, the the value of of celebrity being very important to some of these people. And, and the, the, what I was going to say is the, the moral hazard, right, from our economic policy is not just economic. There's social moral hazard as well. So when the Fed inflates the price and price gouges the American people or Un unlawfully taxes them, uh, you get this inflation, right? Uh, which is what has happened. But there's also an inflation of the value of celebrity. 
and the two have really coincided, right? Social media as an industry has brought a, a rise in inflation of the value of celebrity. People don't like and, and appreciate the simple things in life anymore at all, like your old relationships with your genuine friends. It's all about how can I move up into this white party Mike, Michael Rubin uh, echelon of people, and social media has promoted that, right? Roy, that's Jason. a. Um, go ahead, go ahead, Steve. Basically, and and George Lopez did this on the View several months ago, but I don't know if you agree or disagree. When you basically make statements like, uh, "If you're not with the LGBTQ trans community, you're not my friend," like George Lopez, that that that's really a subtext or a real way of saying, "Please don't cancel me. I still want to work." Isn't it really that simple? It is. It it, it certainly that simple and everybody knows the price you have to pay. I, I just, when your brand for Barkley, and this is why we're discussing this and why it's high risk, his brand has been, now nah, I'm not gonna say what you want me to say, I'm gonna say what I think. And this here is an indication, of, no, I'm no longer gonna say what I really believe. The guy used to go on air and, and still does from time to time, and say some really tough things about what's going on in the black community. Yeah. He was willing to say that and be off script. Yeah. It's clear as day this LGBTQ thing is a line that he won't cross. And he's basically, he's basically said, you know, I'm part of the alphabet mafia. I, 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 I have more respect for that group and more fear of that group than I do black people, uh, white people, anybody else, and that, I, I, I'm, just, I'm disappointed by it. And, and, and again, I like Charles, and I know that he has many friends that have gay children. Let's, let's just, you know, let, let's, let's say he's friends with Magic Johnson. I could rattle off some names of some others, but I'm gonna leave it out of it because I don't want to talk about their business, but there's a lot of these high-profile athletes his age. They got gay kids, and 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 I, I and I may be proven wrong over time. I may regret. I I got people in my own family that I love that are in the alphabet mafia, but I'm not going to change what I believe to provide them comfort. Yeah. I'm just not going to do that. And it goes back to your sacred honor thing, Royce. Yeah. There's a set of beliefs I have that I'm just not gonna move off of. And they're using Barkley to tell the world and everybody, move. This is what all the cool people are doing. If you wanna have success in America, if you wanna be a part of the in crowd, move. Yeah. Ab abandon all of your biblical beliefs and move. I can't be a part of that message. Well, I think I, I agree with Steve too, and I think this this applies to a lot of the the uh, the black bourgeoisie sellouts in, in America. And Steve won't call him that; I can call him that. But well, Steve might. He's a rooftop. Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, a lot of these black bourgeoisie sellouts will do anything to protect their paycheck, because to a radical materialist, the only way to sustain the value of your life is to be able to have things, right? Buy things. Uh, so that's that's certainly a part of it. Um, as far as the gay thing being this this section of the room, this corner of the room that's roped off in a special way, there's no doubt about it. I mean, as far as New World Order goes, as far as the propaganda goes, 
the LGBTQ is the highest, is, is the top, top shelf, uh, right? And, and, and they used, it was after World War II, it went Jews, blacks, women. It went Jews, blacks, women, and they've now converged into the LGBTQ narrative because it's the hardest one to pin down. It's all about confusion and chaos. You can't pin it down. It obscures the entire conversation about humans' rights, about laws, about uh, uh, science. I mean, it's just a, it's just a coverall for for propaganda. Um, so it's clear why the LGBTQ is this has has elevated to where it is, and then it becomes clear why people like Charles and and so many others feel the need to tiptoe around it because they know where the real juice is. The only thing that has more juice than the LGBTQ in the new world order is the military industrial complex. And they've partnered together though. Absolutely. The LGBTQ and the military industrial complex. That's why they're changing all the rules. Oh yeah, no doubt. I said it yesterday on, on, on Twitter. I said, if you vote Democrat, you have a weird stake in a pedo uh, trans agenda. Uh, and, and a lot of people, a lot of black people have ridden in this pedo trans agenda into legislation or they believe they have like NAACP uh, and they'll stand with people who are pedophile and trans before they stand with somebody who says white power and the the, the craziest thing about that isn't that that they they make the distinction between white white power and pedophilia the the crazy thing is that they're two sides of the same coin the Pashtuns and the CIA and when people start to really grasp that then we can get somewhere in this country Who's two sides of the same coin? Oh, the, 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 uh, the, the Darwinists, the social Darwinists and the, the white supremacists, the real white supremacists, no, no Negroes, no Jews, and the, the trans community. This is an evolution from the scientific method into some strange delusional technocratic uh, social engineering program. I think, and, and no, I'm not going to say that, but I think that the military industrial complex, the CIA, the FBI, homosexuality is such a leverage point for the, it's incorporated into their strategy or their yeah. standard operating procedure. Yeah. If we can leverage this person over their sexuality, if we can uh, compromise them sexually, we own them and we control them. Yep. And and th th there's, you know, <laughs> I, I saw, and I'm I'm I hope I don't take us off too far, but I was watching a television show that was on Netflix or Amazon Prime. I think it was called Gamara, and it was about the real Italian mafia, and mm -hmm. over in Italy, not the more sanitized movie version we get over here. And and I can remember the the, the Don. At one point, he pisses in a cup, and he makes a guy that wants to be a made man makes him drink the piss. There's just like there was just these series of humiliating things that he made you do in order before he would let you in his inner circle. Mm -hmm. And and when I saw that, I was like, man, they left that out of The Godfather. You know, they left it, the, the movie versions we get, Goodfellas and Casino, yeah. they never show you the real depth of depravity and humiliation that they put you through. And then, like, it made me think about, like, prison culture and prison mentality. And, the, and then I started thinking about, like, Suge Knight. 
Everybody knows in uh, L.A. that Suge Knight was routinely sodomizing and or making grown men perform fellatio on him. Whoa. And th that's a well-known... I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, well-known. Okay. That comes from out of this prison mentality. And again, they try to sexually compromise. That's how they mentally dominate you, mm -hmm. is through sexual dominance. And I think this has all been baked into everything they're doing as they try to usher in a new world order and the people that they use. And I'm not saying that Charles or any of these people have been sodomized or whatever, but it, it, it's a different kind of sodomy. We're going to make you violate things the way you, the masculinity that you used to have and you used to gain popularity. And, and, and Royce, this is where I, I'm a long-winded way of saying, it's what makes me think Ice Cube is a little different because if he wanted the big three to get the acceptance that he's looking for and the support he's looking for, he's got to hop on the LGBTQ thing and use that league to promote it or it's not gonna happen. But he also knows that would violate what he actually believes and that's why he's not in the club. Well, yeah. I mean, you never you never seen a big three pride uh, logo uh, on, yeah. during Pride Month, uh, and and I can't speak to his personal beliefs about about um, the LGBTQ. Yep. I know I spoke to him about coming on the show, so hopefully we can get that done. And he was very appreciative of of the show that we had on Friday, uh, just in terms of he, he thought it was somewhat accurate of just how we spoke about him. Um, so you know, and, and I love what Cube is doing, and I support him. Um, but you know, the, the the dangerous part about this is that things don't have to be true anymore. That's just the reality we live in. Uh, so like even, I, I wonder sometimes, and you said some of your family members are in the LGBTQ mafia. I don't think just because you're lesbian or gay, you're actually in the mob, in the LGBTQ mob. Um, you may be a loose supporter, you may be a passive supporter of some of their initiatives by way of sheer ignorance, just like many blacks and Jews and women are, but you're not actually in the cult, right? Uh, and, and part of it is the social, cultural, submission. That's what it's really about. You, you, we, can, we, can, we can pass $100 billion to the Ukraine while everybody's focused on trans rights, right? That's another big piece of the PSYOP. And that's a special interest for the government, the agencies that you're talking about. They, they're, they're big on propaganda and distractions, lookaways, right? Um, and the biggest, one of the biggest contradictions in it that you can just tell is just how powerful it is. One of the Democrats' favorite things to do to to Christians and conservatives, MAGA, whoever it is that opposes the LGBTQ agenda, is say, come out of the closet already. You're pro-LGBTQ, you're a pro-LGBTQ advocate, you want gay people to be able to be out of the closet uh, freely and, 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 and everything, but you're using it as a cudgel to try and shame conservatives. And really all they're trying to do is bully conservatives with it. If you oppose this agenda, then you're just a closeted gay man. You see it all, I see it all the time online. Steve, I wanna bring you back in, in in this way. When I look at Stephen A. Smith, we talked about, I think it was last week we talked about, or I certainly did last week, that I think he's done with corporate media and looking for a way out. Looking for a way to talk about other issues while still protecting his bag and protecting his celebrity. 
And I think part of it is related to there, there's a over at ESPN Disney. He's got to hop on board no different than Charles Barkley. And I think this is one of the reasons why Charles Barkley is, is doing this. Because, again, it's like no one, hey, Charles, who, who, no one stuck a mic in your face and said, hey, what do you think about Bud Light? He, he, he's doing this intentionally. Same situation, same, I think, DJ or person with the mic. This is, he's letting off smoke screens and telling everybody else from Stephen A. Smith to Ryan Clark, anybody else, hey, God, this is the way, this is what we're doing now. And I look at a Stephen A. Smith, and I don't think he's comfortable with it, and he's looking for a way to get out while getting a Joe Rogan-type deal someplace where he can actually just say what he thinks, and he doesn't have to make these demonstrable statements like Barkley. Well, here's the thing. Stephen A. Smith's a grinder. I say whatever you want about him. That guy works a lot. I, I mean, he's got more jobs than the Hadleys. Remember that famous skit from In Living Color? They have a lot of jobs, and he's yeah. always working. Charles Barkley has taken pride, and I really respect this. He said, I'm not working hard. I'm not going to ESPN doing all those shows. Oh, no. Oh, I'm trying to work the least amount of hours for the most amount of money. And, guy, you know what? That's the American dream. I'm with Sir Charles. This is where he loses me. He has now become a messenger of indoctrination. And I'll tell you the evolution of it. Me and you are a little bit older than Royce, but I remember when we grew up, and I distinctly remember in the late 70s all the way throughout the 80s, there used to be a message of tolerance for the gay community. In other words, don't bash them, don't assault them, leave them alone. And I thought that was fair. Then it became acceptance, which is like, okay, let's kind of see it their way. Let's let them into the not just the fringes of society. Let's make them more mainstream. Now it is flat out indoctrination where you're at a public space and some guy goes out there waving his banana in front of your kid's head you're just supposed to wait and go oh my god honey isn't that cute like think about it now parents are being excoriated for going up in front of school boards and saying hey uh, guys my little Susie is in a uh, third grade um we have a little problem we really like the school board but um 58 ways to use a dildo i'm not really sure our teacher should be reading this and they get the heat so think about this de-evolution we've gone through from tolerance to acceptance to flat-out indoctrination, and if you don't accept it, you're the pariah. Look at what has happened the last 50, 60 years in our country in terms of that particular subject. And now Barkley is a message. I, I, I would use the word, I, indoctrination is an appropriate word, but I would also think, as it relates to celebrities, it's promotion. You, yeah. you, you have to promote it, and that's a requirement. And, and again, when you get Barkley, who's at the top of the sports media broadcasting deal, he, I think he's being sent out there and pushed out there and doing this to send a message to everybody else. You have to promote it. You, you can't accept it. You can't be tolerant of it. You, you can't be respectful of it. You have to promote it. No, there's no doubt. And one last thing about Charles, if, if you want Bud Light, trust me, you can get like eight cases now for five bucks. I mean, every store I go to now, that Bud Light display is like a castle. I mean, it's funny because if you ever go to the refrigerated section, not of the liquor stores, because that's a little different. 
every market that I go to the last two months, it's literally stacked up like the Great Wall of China. Just I, It's like no one is buying it for Charles. You can have all the Bud Light you want with all your new friends. That's not the problem. That is not the problem. But shame on Charles. You are now part of the cabal. Shame on you. Where have you gone, Charles Barkley? I'm just what do we think Bud Light cut him a check to do that? Steve, hmm. Steve Kim uses the word Steve Kim uses the word cabal. And I, I, I like it for this situation, because I think one of the real signals with Charles was when the whole Kyrie Irving thing went down and, and Charles is public statement on it was you can't criticize them and then want to play in their league. Mm. Right. Yeah. So his, mm. his whole MO, his whole modus operandi is whoever's in control, whoever the elites are, whatever they want, that's what you should fall in line with or else go find something else to do. And it's a real it's a real sign of lack of, of moral character. Um, it's easy to go on TV and say things. It's hard to stand for things and then even harder to die for things. Um, but but but, um, you know, with with the Kyrie situation, it's not really their league. I mean, they've kind of done in the NBA and with basketball exactly what the international banking cartel has done with business and capital all over the world. They've played middleman and they've used the middleman role to solidify power. That doesn't mean they own it. And they didn't. They damn sure didn't create it. And they damn sure don't sustain it with their talent and skill. They broker it. That's not the same. And they organize it, though, Royce. And, yeah. and the reason they organize it is because we won't. <laughs> no, not only that. They won't let us organize it. There's some of that, too. You know what? I, I was... When the ice cubes and, and I don't like this, yep. not Diddy, but, but Russell Simmons and, and uh, you know, a couple other, uh, you know, black entrepreneurs, they won't let them own a team. You have to bow to the agenda of New World Order in order for them to even let you be in the organization position. I was just watching a documentary, though, Royce. Not that this documentary is the end-all, be-all. But it was a documentary about how the Jews created Hollywood. And it was put on by Jews. I don't want anybody to call me anti-Semitic. Jews did this documentary that I was watching. Mm-hmm. And it was a celebration of them creating Hollywood. And it talked about all the resistance they felt from the Edison uh, film industry, because that's who started it. I think Thomas Edison or people from that lineage. Mm-hmm. And, and that the whole system was stacked up against Jewish people initially and their rise in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And they fought through that. We think, once we get some resistance, we think, oh, we got resistance. They're racist. Therefore, let me fold and not stick to my guns. And, and again, these guys felt so much resistance in New York that I think it was like eight of them. Mm-hmm. They just said, you know, we're going to move out here to California and do it from out here. Yeah. And we're going to get away from New York where we're getting all this resistance and we're going to go do it out here in California. And they took over. the thing. So they've had resistance and figured out a different way to go about it. Once we get resistance, we just fall into excuses and say the world is racist and we can't do it. Yeah. And, and I go, not that I thought it was anything great, but it's like we had and one and that was hot for a minute. We didn't know how to organize it in a sustainable way. And we'll see big three may fall into the same deal. I'm not into excuses. There's always a way if you stay. Every ethnic group, and I'm not, 
And, you know, black, we love to say we're special and our, our resistance is because of the skin color and blah, blah, blah. Everybody gets hazed when they come to America. And was our hazing process far worse? Yeah. Yes. It wasn't a hazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was longer and more yeah. sustained and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But eventually we got set free and there's this hazing that you're going to go through and are you going to stick together? And again, we, we flunk all the tests. We had the Negro Leagues baseball deal and we thought instead of negotiating our way and some teams into that league, hey, we'll just give them all the talent and we'll, you know, integrate that way. We won't integrate from the top down, we'll integrate from the bottom up. And they, well, they ain't going to let you get to the top. Uh, and so I, I just, I don't know what. I, I agree with you. And take, take you know, Daddy Silver, for example. Uh, it's the same with Hollywood that it was in law, right? I mean, Prokshire, the law firm Prokshire that Adam Silver's dad helped found was the original law firm of Jewish attorneys that none of the other firms would hire because they didn't want Jewish attorneys. Um, so, and, and listen, anybody, nobody's saying that the Jews aren't getting played either in their role in this whole thing. This whole New World Order deal is a matter of Satan, is a matter of metaphysical forces pushing an agenda and pushing people towards a certain end. The Jews play a role and the blacks play a role and the CCP and certain, the Chinese play a role. Everybody's got their, their corner of the market, um, but, but they certainly have a very dominant role in Hollywood. But even more importantly, now, today, they have a very, very dominant role in law. And the legal fair is what is really the railhead of, of New World Order. Steve, I'm going to let you go. This went longer than I anticipated, but great job, as always. You got a final thought before we let you go? I hate to cut you short on your show. No, no, it's just great to collaborate with Royce, meeting of the minds. I just want Royce to know cabal. That's one of my fancy Asian SAT words. I've been waiting to pull that out for about a year and a half since I've been on Fearless. And once Royce came out, I said, you know what? Cabal's coming out today. I'm, I'm breaking it out of my arsenal. That's it. You know, uh, this weekend, Steve was on some Twitter spaces under the name of Kane Football Talk. And so I was like, oh, I want to hear him talk about the Miami Hurricanes. Spent an hour listening to Steve talk about boxing. No, but they asked me. Like, Wait a minute. The public asked me. And, and look, this is for the masses. If they want to ask me about Spence Crawford, look, I'm more concerned about my cornerback depth. And my left tackle is going to be healthy. But these guys want to talk. I, I get it, Jason. But 150 have- guys in this Twitter space is under the headline, Kane's football talk. And for an hour straight, it was, it was uh, what, a 24-7 Showtime? What was it? Is that what, what, what was Showtime's boxing deal called? Uh, or HBO. All access. All ac- yeah, it was, you know, it, all, all that was missing was Max Kellerman and Jim Lampley. And- yeah. <laughs> Jason, I want to let my audience on Fearless Snow, closer to the season, it's almost great. We will do a full hour-long special of Hurricane Football with Steve Kim. It's going to be a great show. Tune in. Tune in. All right. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> uh, great job. Uh, I need to tell you guys about our great friends at Preborn. And you guys know what Preborn does. You know why it's central to our mission. It factors into this conversation we're talking about right now, about the sanctity of life and the importance of life and the importance of reproduction. The entire world seems to be set against reproduction. They want to kill babies in the womb. They want everybody adopting a lifestyle that doesn't reproduce. 
Preborn does not. It fights against that culture. Preborn is about protecting that baby inside the womb, recognition that life begins inside the womb at conception, and recognition that reproduction is our purpose here. That's what we're supposed to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Preborn provides expectant mothers an ultrasound. You introduce that woman to a heartbeat, you show her that image inside the womb, she's far more likely to choose life and to eschew abortion. Preborn's been doing this for years. You guys have met Dan Steiner. He's been on the show. You know where the money goes. It does not go to go pay a bunch of mid-level executives exorbitant six-figure salaries. It goes for paying for ultrasounds. It goes to supporting that woman uh, while she's pregnant and in the first two years after uh, she gives birth. All that support from diapers to counseling to just a friend in need, that's what Preborn provides. And they provide it because we donate money. We pick up our phones, pound 250, say the keyword baby, you can give that way. Or you can go to preborn.com slash Jason and donate that way. It's just $28 for one ultrasound, $140 gets you five ultrasounds. You can give monthly like I do. You can make some special donations when things are going really well for you and you want to uh, make someone else's life better. You can go to Preborn and give there as well. Preborn.com slash Jason, pound 250, say the keyword baby, Preborn. It's part of our mission statement here at Fearless. Be a good fearless soldier. Send me an email, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com when you give that donation. Uh, Delano Squires, we'll talk a little Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis next. It's my obligation on hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Uh, time for some Delano Squires and a little conver political conversation. Uh, I don't have, have Royce and Delano ever been on the show at the same time? Same once? Oh, just one maybe time, Royce? Uh, maybe once. All right, uh, get out your thesauruses, get out your dictionaries. Uh, these two guys are about to have a battle of vocabularies. Uh, I will try my best to uh, define any word that I don't understand. I got my computer here. I can go to dictionary.com and help you guys keep pace with uh, these two brilliant gentlemen. We're going to talk some uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis. Uh, Delano, you were a part of the Blaze Presidential Summit that was hosted mm -hmm. by uh, Tucker Carlson. It made a lot of news. Uh, people found very interesting. It was a terrific event. Be beyond, I, I want to talk about winners, not losers. We know that Mike Pence and Asa Hutchison were losers, and <laughs> that's interesting, but not really. I thought the biggest winner uh, was Vivek Ramaswamy, and it, it, it's now clear to me 
that he's going to be a player in Republican politics in 2024 and perhaps beyond. Is, is that a fair uh, reaction to what we saw on Friday and over the weekend at uh, TPUSA? Um, I think it's fair, Jason, but it just depends on whether Vivek actually wants to um, win elected office, right? Um, on, on the coverage, I sort of drew a, a comparison between him and Barack Obama circa 2004, when he, I, I believe that's when he gave the speech at the Democratic National Convention, and he first came on the scene, and, and again, his, he had soaring rhetoric, he was sort of an inspirational character who spoke outside of the normal, you know, political talking points. I see some of that in Vivek, um, in his willingness to talk about God, um, to talk about sort of the, 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 the God gap, right, that is driving the despair um, and the disconnection, the social sort of dislocation that you see, whether in drug abuse or homelessness and, you know, some of the, the real partisan battles that, that we face in our culture. Um, so, so I could see him being an Obama-like character, um, but I think people genuinely believe that Obama wanted to be president, and a lot of people believe that Vivek, you know, some believe he's a grifter who's only, you know, trying to sell books or whatever it is they're trying to, he, they think he's trying to do. Some believe he wants to be part of uh, a Trump administration in 2024. I'm not taking a position, you know, either way. Um, but I can see there's a clear difference between him and the other can Republican candidates in the field, you know, challenging Trump just in terms of his rhetoric. Um, I will say this, a president is more than, than just a public speaker. If that weren't the case, you know, Tony Robbins would, would have been a two-time president and, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we would, we would sort of be looking for whoever gets can charge the most on on the you know uh, public speaking circuit so i think it's good to be able to articulate a vision for the country that connects with people um but you you need more than just polished talking points um to to run the federal bureaucracy so i, I just want to make that point clear uh -oh. i think that's crystal clear but i think things have changed so dramatically over the last 12 to 14 years, you got to remember uh, Barack Obama basically became president with virtually no experience. Donald Trump became president without any experience. Mm. And I think right. on the Democratic side, you would have Democrats say, Barack Obama's the best president of the last 50 years. And on the Republican side, I think you'd have a group of Republicans say, Donald Trump is the best president in the last 100 years. <laughs> and so those guys have made experience perhaps irrelevant. Royce, what's your take on Vivek? How seriously should we take him? Well, to, to your point, I, I don't think Barack Obama and Donald Trump made um, experience irrelevant. We, the American people, made it irrelevant. Mm. Um, and it is, it is somewhat irrelevant. It is somewhat legitimately irrelevant because of the, the decay of our political landscape, the decay of our politics. We live in a WWE politics culture. And, you know, people are way less interested in what policy is actually written, uh, what policy makes it into legislation, and, and what ramifications there are of policy down, downstream. Uh, it's, it's all a sort of virtue signal. 
on both sides of the aisle completely. Um, so, so that was that was our choosing. As far as the vet goes, I still have real skepticism of anybody who sought um, the validation of the Ivy League and then Big Tech in their young adult years. Um, I just have questions about a person like that in the time we're in now. I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm not saying I don't like a lot of the things he's saying. Like I said last time we spoke about him, I think that was the day that you interviewed him. Um, I think he's saying a lot of great things, and I think he could contribute to an administration. Um, like, like Delano said, being, being in the seat today, especially today, is way, way more than, than being a public speaker. It is. I, 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 let me play. Let's play a clip for those of you that didn't see uh, Friday's uh, Blaze Summit. But uh, this is Vivek getting asked about January 6th. Something you can't say is that maybe January 6th, while appalling on one level, maybe it was not an insurrection. So let me let me talk about I've, I, haven't, I haven't talked about this much in the campaign. I'll be very honest with you. You want to know what caused January 6th? There's such a temptation to say that there's one man whose name is unspeakable. We well, can't. No, first of all, it's QAnon. Put up. It's QAnon. It's QAnon. <laughs> you want to know what caused January 6th? Is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th. You tell people in this country they cannot speak. That is when they scream. You tell people they cannot scream. That is when they tear things down. And so the reality is... We were told that you could not question where the virus came from when we all knew it came from a lab in Wuhan, which now they admit. We were told that you could not send a private message to someone on the eve of an election that Hunter Biden's laptop story was actually a true story worth considering before an election. You were systematically suppressed. So this is, think about this. You told you had to be locked down, had to take a vaccine that was mandated and forced down your throat, stay locked down in your home while Antifa and BLM roam and burn the streets of this country. So that's the lead up of one full year of telling people you have to shut up, sit down and do as you're told. And then you tell them, okay, there's an election where you didn't get the information that you needed, such as the Hunter Biden laptop story being real and suppressed. That's what caused January 6th, is a cycle of censorship in this country. And until we look ourselves in the mirror and admit truth on that, we will not move forward as a country. And I think that's the real cause. We're not, and I'm sorry to say this, Tucker, but I think until we reckon with that reality, I worry that that is the beginning of, it's a friendly parley compared to what's to come, unless we step up and speak truth, restore integrity, and actually lead us to who we are as a people, rather than sweeping the truth under the rug. So I love that answer. Some, I've had people come at me on Twitter saying it was a dodge, and you know he didn't answer the question directly, and. And unless, you know, people just wanted to say, unless you, the only thing they want to hear is I want to pardon everybody, and which I certainly hope that they would pardon everybody. But the guy is a dynamic speaker, and I think that matters. And I think the fact that Ron DeSantis isn't a dynamic speaker is hurting Ron DeSantis. Delano, what can DeSantis do who was you know, the front runner outside of Trump uh, early on, what can he do uh, to make up some ground? It feels like he's not really connecting with voters. 
Well, first, let me say something. Um, I think Royce hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, it wasn't Obama and Trump that made experience irrelevant. It was the American people. And ultimately, we are going to get the leaders that we deserve. And, and if what we want are leaders that say outlandish things, basically leaders that operate as if like they're content creators, right? Whether, you know, they're, they're polished like Vivek or outlandish and, and, you know, sort of more bare knuckle brawlers like Trump, then that's what we're going to get. Um, and I think my advice, and I'm not a political consultant at all, right? I like to focus on policy, but I don't think Ron DeSantis should try to make himself into someone that he's not. Because the worst thing in politics is a phony. And people can smell phonies a mile away. So my thing is this, every uh, presidential candidate has a series of skills and experiences um, and abilities that they say, these are the things that equip me for office. Some people are dynamic speakers, right? Some people like Trump um, know how to turn a phrase. There are Trump fans who say, Oh man, look, he gave he gave everybody a name. Uh, little Marco, Crooked Hillary. Wow, yeah, he's really sticking it to the establishment. And for them, that's how that's that would determine who they vote for the next president. And some people have governing experience. And a big part of how voters will determine the next uh, GOP nominee um, is based on what event they think they're going to. If they think they're going to a Friday night rodeo in Eastern Texas. They're going to go for one person. If they think this is the Kentucky Derby, this is a race, they're going to go for a different person, right? Because those two events require two different horses. And if you want a rodeo, you vote for the Bronco. If, if you want to win the Triple Crown, you vote for the Stallion. And for some people that say, I want to split the difference, you vote for the Gelding. So at the end of the day, DeSantis has to figure out you know, who, who he is. He has to stay in his lane to me and, and, and run his race and let the chips fall where they may. I want to push back on you and Royce. I, I think corrupt politicians made experience irrelevant. I think the American public views all of these career politicians as corrupt. And so they want someone not connected to politics. And so th from the Bushes to anybody that's coming out of the RNC or the DNC, yeah. people just aren't interested in, oh, that's a corrupt person. That's what politicians are. It it's no different when you see a fat person, you make some assumptions about them. Yeah. Oh, I bet you mm -hmm. he can't run a mile in under 20 minutes. Oh, I bet you, you know, blah, blah, blah. You see someone that's a career politician and you go, oh, he's corrupt or she's corrupt. I bet you they're worth a lot more money now than they were then. And that's why I think Vivek, RFK, and Donald Trump have appeal. Is, you know, the Kennedys got a bunch of money, you know, just because they're Kennedys. And then Vivek and Trump have created a bunch of money and they're not traditional politicians, and so they don't have that air of corruption, and that's what people are, are trying to avoid. The, the other thing, as it relates to uh, DeSantis, I, I think his failing 
is self-awareness and not leaning into who he is. And so if I'm Ron DeSantis, if I have ultimate self-awareness, I would have watched Vivek on Friday go up there and be this dynamic speaker. And, and I would have recognized that like, whoo, this dude just set the stage on fire. That's not what I'm going to do. I can't, that's not who I am. And, and I would say, and you know what, Donald Trump, when he gets on stage, he sets the stage on fire. That's not who I am. I would then, I would have come out on Friday right after uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and said, listen, Vivek is tremendous. What an incredible ball of energy. He is dynamic, just like Donald Trump. Those guys are both dynamic. That's not who I am. I'm a doer. Do you want things done? I get things done in a way that is sustainable, that will allow me for the next eight years to move this country in a direction. It won't be four years and then everybody hates me so much and everybody, uh, they can put together some lies and steal an election. I get things done in a sustainable way. I meant to look this, I, I even had a, cause I was thinking this on Friday and I started thinking about, uh, is it cool Modi or somebody, I go to work or I get, it's like he needs some theme song that's, straight from Cool Modi or somebody, or maybe it was Big Daddy Kane, I get the job done. I can't remember, I meant to look it up on Friday, but that, he needs to start I'm a doer, I'm not dynamic, look at my track record, I get things done, we're at a time right now where America needs things done for a sustained period of time. It's going to take time to clean up or even begin the cleanup process on the mess that the Obama administration, the Bush administration, the Biden administration have created, I'm the guy that can get it done in a sustainable way. That's who I am. If you want dynamic and you want a hot mess and you want something that will have starts and finishes and, and you know go back and forth, have at it. I'm the guy that will get things done. That's what I think is a sellable message for uh, DeSantis, but he, he's, you know, that's not, I don't know if they're, if they're that quick on their feet. Number one, to go back to your, your first point, the American people are right to be skeptical of politicians. And, and I agree that corrupt politicians have, have undermined the, uh, the legitimacy of, of politics and, and governance in this country. What I have skepticism towards in the American people or of the American people is you know, it's one thing to say a politician is corrupt. It's another thing to say they're corrupt as a way to opt out of having to do anything yourself, right? And, and I think by and large, that, that's the real psyop done on the American people is, yeah, of course your politicians are corrupt and there's a sort of laissez-faire attitude around political corruption, but you're not really calling it out because you wanna get active in politics because you don't actually need your elected officials or politicians to be politically active, right? So there's a disconnect right there in the people that say, oh, I'm not gonna vote because all of these people are corrupt. Well, what are you doing in your daily life that's active, that's political, that's working towards whatever agenda that you believe in? And if those two things don't line up, then you're using it as an excuse. And I think a big body of American uh, 
people are, are doing that. Um, as far as DeSantis goes, I've said it since the beginning. He's cooked. He's done. There's nothing he can do. The only thing he could do would be in the fall in alignment and pull whatever DeSantis grassroots energy there is back Trump and try and, and, and convince Trump that that ticket would would be a winner. But he won't do that because I know who's behind him. I mean, it's clear who's behind him. Anybody who knows who's behind him. Uh, I mean, who's raising money for him? Goldman Sachs, I think uh, JP and Morgan, big banks, they're they're raising money for him. Um, they're raising money for Nikki Haley. They're raising money for, you know, they're running, they're running uh, dinners and functions with CIA directors and Pompeo's. And I mean, this is who these people are. Uh, coming from the inside, I'm just telling you, yeah. they're having full-fledged entrepreneur, CEO suite, fundraisers for Ron DeSantis, and CEOs are standing up and clapping like seals for a pro-Ukraine military industrial complex administration. And that, again, connects to my point People still want an outsider. They don't trust polished politicians. Yeah, as they shouldn't. Go ahead, Delano. I mean, I, I, I you know, Royce, let me, let me acknowledge, Royce probably has more insider information than I do, right? But two points. One, I'm going to go back to your previous point, Jason. I don't think that voters, the issue with voters as it relates to Obama and Trump is about po- political corruption. Because I just figure everybody assumes that corruption is a feature, not a bug of politics. The the problems with Democrats and Obama and Republicans and, and Trump is that the most fervent parts of their basis have held these men up as messianic figures, right? Where they put halos over their heads and they nail them to crosses. And that is a reflection on the God-sized void in, in the quote-unquote soul of America, where fewer people are religiously identified than ever before in this country's history. And part of what people are doing, both to fill the void that religion um, plays for most people in terms of identity and moral formation, is that they're stuffing that with partisan politics. And that happens on both sides. So it's, I don't think it's the corruption piece, because if, if you talk to you know Democrats or Republicans, they'll say, look, every politician is corrupt. Like, that's, that's what they do. Politicians are out for themselves. But the notion to me that Trump is some sort of renegade outsider, honestly and respectfully, is laughable. Trump is a guy whose Achilles heel is completely obvious. If any of us as men, and I at least speak for myself in a previous uh, part of my life, if I met a girl on a college campus on day two and I said, here, baby, here's a, you know, a, a pizza hut. Uh, you know, mini pizza from from the cafeteria. And she says, oh my gosh, someone's never been so nice to me. Wow, I could see you as my future husband. I said, wow, this woman has never been loved properly in her life. And when anyone praises Trump publicly, whether it's Gavin Newsom, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, the CEO of Disney, he falls over like a schoolgirl. And he said, oh, he, he, he said, he said uh, you know, my phone call was one of the best phone calls he's ever, he's ever had in his life. This is you, you can't you can't run a country when the leader is so vulnerable to public praise. So the notion that he's going to stand up for the things that his base wants, I, I, just, I just don't find that compelling. He has hit DeSantis on his pro-life credentials from the left and said that a six week ban sounds a little bit extreme to me. He has promoted um, 
uh, or he has fought back against foreign countries, particularly in Africa and the Middle East, who want to govern their own affairs when it comes to the pride agenda, right? The, 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 the tweets he was sending out when, while he was in office for Pride Month could have been cribbed right from the Biden administration. So as I've said, and I've written before, a second Trump term, particularly when it relates to the issue of pride, will be much more Lady Maga than Uganda forever. So I, I think there's a, there's a haze that sort of um, affects the right's ability to judge him honestly. And, and, I, and I'm not anti-Trump. If, if he's the nominee and I'm voting for him against Biden, Newsom, or, or Harris, that's an easy call for me. I'm, I'm not voting for any Democrat. But, but I just believe in calling it straight. So again, I can't say who's, who's fundraising for whom, but people back candidates for all different types of reasons. But anybody who thinks that Trump would stare down the CEO of Disney and say, look, all of the privileges that, have, that you've benefited from in the last 50 plus years in, in this great state of Florida are about to be revoked because you as a CEO of Disney think that you can subvert the will of the people, right? as it relates to laws passed by duly elected representatives, and you are corrupting the next generation of American children, and I'm not standing for it. You really think that that he's gonna say that? And cost 7,000 or 50,000 jobs in Florida? Not a chance. I, I can't speak to that specific example, but I do think in 2016, I just I don't even think it's debatable whether he was an outsider. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's an outsider, and that was eight I, years ago. I, though. I no, no, I, I get it. Okay. Uh, uh, let, 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 and I, let. I, I think that the attack on Trump is further proof that he's an outsider and and a and a sincere threat to the establishment. And, and I think, uh, again, when I look at Vivek and RFK and, and why are they exceeding all expectations, again, it just got people are tired of career politicians. And then as I think you made the point about religious faith and things like that, one of the things I think Vivek is scoring a lot of points on. This guy tweets out every day, God is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, every conversation he gets into, he centers God and his belief in God. And I know he's a Hindu or whatever, but he, as he talked about on Friday, he's got some shared values with Christians, even being a Hindu, and religious values shared with them. And, and he centers that constantly. And I certainly don't see you know, anyone on the left doing that. And I don't, these other candidates, I don't know. I'm sure maybe Mike Pence does, but he's, he puts me to sleep every time he talks. uh, So I, I, I don't know, but I, I, I think Trump can still claim the outsider role. And I think Vivek and RFK Jr. I would say as well, both of these guys have chosen the right strategy. They're not attacking Trump. I, I saw RFK turn down the opportunity. They tried to bait him up and team up to rip Trump. And he's like, nah, I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm, I, I respect that Trump paid him some kind of praise and he was forced to comment and he wasn't gonna rip him. And Vivek not doing, I think that's just smart strategy where I think that someone has triggered 
DeSantis into thinking that he would be unmanly if he didn't attack Trump. And I just think it's poor political strategy. And, and uh, you know, you got to be a smart, he's playing a game of chess, and you got to be a smart fighter, not, you know, there's other ways to look manly than attacking Trump. And so, I, I again, I, the outsiders are having some success early on, but Royce, you, you jump in here. We're, we're in a very unique place in American history, both politically, culturally, socially, psychologically, across the, across the board. And we have to prioritize. And, and I'm not one to ever say that we should focus more on this than this because we face a, a circumstance where we need to, we need an all an all encompassing approach, no doubt. And I think Donald Trump is certainly weak in, in many areas, places where I think he has room to grow even in his old age. I think everybody is going to have the opportunity to grow into something that they never were before in, in this moment that that's coming up. Um, but I would certainly disagree with Donald Trump, and I agree with Delano that that some of uh, Trump's rhetoric is uh, is is concerning from a conservative standpoint, certainly from a Christian standpoint. Um, but I will say this, and we can talk about abortion, we can talk about the LGBTQ, we can talk about any number of conservative Christian talking points. This country's not going to become Christian overnight because this country wasn't Christian in its inception. The momentum, the avalanche of satanic and, and sexual depravity in this country is heavy. And there's not a single thing that anyone, any elected official, any candidate could do that would turn it around in one fell swoop because it's too good. The high of sexual depravity is too good to turn around. But something that we could do in one fell swoop, something that's within the scope of a presidential candidate's power, securing our border, securing our border, making sure that America isn't this economic uh, puppet of, of global and elitist interests. Um, those are things that are well within the immediate scope of a presidential candidate. And I think that's where Donald Trump is strong. I think that's where he's shown he was strong. I think he clearly threatened NATO in a very public way and said we would pull out, which I think we should do. Um, and so, so he's strong around some of those places. Um, I think his softness to agree with Delano, I think his softness around certain cultural wedge issues does stem from uh, uh, his ego. And that's a problem. But any person that would step up to the plate right now is going to have flaws. And we have to all pray and have faith that our next set of leaders uh, could overcome those flaws in this next chapter, uh, in this next battle we're going into. When I think of, and Royce, I'm a come to your strong suit, which can, and I asked Vivek on this show, uh, and I think RFK has been a critic of this as well. When I think of who out there might challenge the Federal Reserve, because there have been presidents, if you go study history, central banking has been an issue since 1780, whatever the establishment, you know, once we form, it's been an issue. And it's been established, and then a president will get in and, you know, set it back and blah, blah, blah. And then in 1913, they got it, and it's been unimpeded ever since. But that's been an issue since the founding of this country, central. And when I think of, of any of these candidates 
that might push us in the direction of even questioning the Federal Reserve, I can only think of three, RFK, Vivek, and Trump. Mm -hmm. That's what, 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 what and, and so I, I like your point. I wasn't expecting your point, but you're right. There's only so much that people can do, but who's going to get at these fundamental issues, border security and central bank, because if we don't get at those fundamental issues, it'll be hard to undo these other issues. They're all connected and money at the heart of it. I got to give you credit, this Federal Reserve thing. It took you a year and a half to get me there, but man, I'm all the way there. I get it. Well, the question is, if you, if you think, the question really becomes, is the, is the car before the horse or the chicken before the egg? And, and many people seem to look at these cultural wedge issues that have to do with Christian belief and think, oh, well, the rap music is decaying the culture or um, abortion is decaying or the LGBTQ or having sex in Hollywood. And yeah, all of those things are contributing factors. But the heart of the Christian decay in this country is the fundamental embrace of radical materialism. Funded by inflation, funded by their printing funded of money. By the way that the entire economic Ponzi scheme was set up and thus, American citizens' acceptance of the, again, the reason why the Fed was set up was to gradually make the American people accept that the rise of technology and industry would offset the unlawful tax that is being placed on them by their government. And I mean, these are, that's a fundamental heresy against God given the God, get the rights that you've been given by the creator. So the, the, the point I'm making is that, look, are we going to throw all of our political hate on a young woman who, who had sex uh, and, and now has decided uh, that she doesn't want, is that where the, the crooks of our political activism needs to be? It, are, is she to blame for the fall of America? No, she has to deal with an eternal damnation and, and all of us will have to. But if we're talking about politics in the nation and what leads a young woman to think that way, do I think every young woman that has an abortion is satanic in her, in her, in her impulse? No, she's been brainwashed to think that my economic, it's a very simple fix. That's why Preborn says, if you give a woman, show the heartbeat and you give the resources, you can change it. That tells us if we change the fundamental economic scam, we could, we could really start to turn this country around. If you have a society where one income earner could provide a great life for a family, now you're changing things. We've set it up now. You got to have two incomes. Yeah, four. Yeah, <laughs> literally. The average American family with two working people don't have five hundred dollars cash, and the Fed gives a hundred billion to the Ukraine. I mean, we see the issue. The question is, who's willing to fight? Delano, I don't have a question. I just want you to hop back in if there's something you want to react to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not an expert on central banking and and all of sort of its tentacles and the rest of the and the rest of the culture, but I will say this: the the president actually does have a fair amount of leverage and power as it relates to to some of the issues we're talking about, right? Um, could choose, particularly if a president who also you know his party controls uh, Congress, you can repeal the Equality Act. Um, you can obviously you would fire the current you know, um, Secretary of Health and Human Services and his deputy, who was a man pretending to be a woman, who was setting federal policy as it relates to quote unquote gender affirming care, 
all of those people can yeah. can be run out of Washington, right? You can you can go back to the definition of sex that that was in sort of the the, the federal register, right? That un, that undergirded federal law, which is biological and not based on gender identity. Um, and then you can use the bully pulpit. You know, our president has a, a purse, a pen, and a pulpit. So you you sign laws. You can choose what programs to fund or not fund, um, and you use the bully pulpit to to declare openly and publicly, you know, your values. And and I would I would argue that the stuff that we're talking about, particularly in the culture war, is much is being pushed with much more force and passion through the corporatocracy than the Federal Reserve, right? So whether we're talking about Barclay and Bud Light or all of how yeah. all of the companies go rainbow come June, the, that proximate cause is, is, the, is, you know, is the corporations. Every Fortune 500 company basically signed on to the Equality Act. And if you work in, at Google or Amazon or Anheuser-Busch or Target or Walmart or any of these companies, they exert a tremendous amount of pressure both on their employees and on elected officials. The reason that Asa, Asa Hutchinson you know, uh, had to bend the knee to, to the rainbow calf of pride is because Walmart is headquartered in Arkansas. And the Walton Family Foundation, the, the Walton Family is the one who started Walmart, they, they are completely pro-pride. So uh, again, there are a lot of moving parts in our sort of political culture, right? And I, I'm not going to attempt to speak for all of them, but you know we had a Federal Reserve in, in 1964. I highly doubt that you know Coca-Cola was 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 sending pro-trans messages in in its commercials at, at that period of time, but that's what they're doing right now. So that's what I'm saying. If, if you if you don't have a president who can clearly say to corporations, look, I, I believe in the free market. Um, I don't believe in, in government over-regulation of, of the corporate and private sector. But if you think that we are going to allow unelected CEOs to dictate the laws in this country, you have another thing coming. And what I'm saying is, I don't know that every candidate can do that. And maybe DeSantis wouldn't do that as president. But what I'm saying is, he showed that he not only could, but did do that as governor. And that to me means a lot. And as a voter who is concerned with substance over style, I would uh, elevate that uh, track record of governing over, you know, somebody's rhetorical flourishes. And, and I want to piggyback that point, because personally, I thought that the criticism against DeSantis for railing up against Disney in Florida was completely misplaced. From the entire, and I thought the criticism from from the MAGA movement, but from the entire conservative, mainly from MSNBC, the real signal was from MSNBC. They said, "Hey, he's not going to be able to, to you know, talk about you know, free market with rhinos," is what they were really saying, uh, going against a corporation like Disney because it's it's a lose lose. Um, I thought that was completely misplaced. I thought that it was strong for DeSantis to pick that fight, and I thought most of the criticism was saying it's not smart from a political strategy standpoint. And there's something gravely dishonest in this country about what we mean when we talk about political strategy. What's advantageous to the average voter who everybody in the political world behind the scenes agrees and knows and counts on the fact that they're um, low information, uh, fifth grade reading level voters. Um, so that, that, that I, I would agree with Delano that um, 
you know, Governor DeSantis showed a, a bright spot in what he did against Disney and all the people who spoke against it. I, I would have to, uh, you know, categorically disagree with them, lot, including I, including Trump. Lot, I'm, I'm going to make this last point. I'm going to let you go because I, I want to talk some specific RFK stuff with uh, Royce. But I, you make the point about in 1964 and the Federal Reserve was there and and, you know, things were different. I, I think, and, and I don't know if this is a complete thought or the perfect thought, but it made me think about like, so George Orwell in 1949 wrote the book 1984. Mm. And so there were things in place that he could see that were going to lead us this direction. And so I think very smart, visionary people couldn't tell you exactly, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. But they could, they could like, oh, this central banking system and this all, all the ingredients are in place for what's now become crystal clear to people whose eyes are awake in 2023. George Orwell could see it in 1949 when he published his book. And so most of us couldn't, again, a year or two ago, I couldn't see Royce kept talking about the Federal Reserve and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get it. I had to do a lot of homework, a lot of reading. I had to listen to Royce on this show many times and think about it before I finally got it and could see. Like, and, and it just the whole everything makes sense. In Man, we got all these alleged celebrities and influencers and rappers and they're all idiots and they're making millions of dollars. Who's financing this? Who's who do they really bring that kind of value? Can mm -hmm. can literally can can you sell 10,000 records and somehow be worth 20 million dollars or or whatever? I don't know what these numbers are that Meek Mill and these other people and, and it's like who's paying these people? to promote this level of debaucheracy, radical materialism, where's the money coming from? And why have we printed so much money? Why have we opened our borders and allowed all of this money from our known enemies come in and dictate what's in our movies? And so when I look out there and say, and again, this is why it's gonna take a stick of dynamite probably to get me up off of Trump, He's the only guy that he's America first and we got to protect our borders and we got to be hard on China and we got to bring manufacturing jobs back. And, and we, we got to because if we don't, we're just kidding ourselves. If we're going to continue to let China just cut checks to the NBA, to Kyrie Irving, they just cut Kyrie Irving, a big check for shoe for shoes. Yep. All of our influencers, all of our people. I mean, they go back. I'm rambling here, but it's like I read something two or three years ago where Adrian Wojnarowski had some deal with China. The worst. Through ESPN. The worst of the worst. Where he's cut, getting checks from China for appearing on something that had to do with the NBA. And I'm like, wow, we've it, and go to live golf and how Saudi Arabia Everybody can just cut a check and influence American culture. And if we don't put a stop to that, and, and, and again, these are all our enemies. They're over there. Every time Charles Barkley, 
screams for pride. People in Saudi Arabia going, good job, Charles. People in China, yeah, y'all keep sticking dildos at each other's rear end. That's great, guys. Y'all keep, all of our enemies are sitting around. Russia, oh, they're all, they love it. Mm-hmm. Y'all keep making TikTok videos and keep sending drag queens to, it's all being financed. And, and, and we have all these celebrities and influencers we're paying a lot of money to present this lifestyle to everybody that this is the way to go. And if we don't protect our borders and, and, and question this whole global movement uh, and, and what it means for those of us that do have, are trying to hold on to our Christian values and beliefs, we're going to get run over. And so that's where, you know, Royce is pointing to sell you with me of like, if, if all the money's coming from the bankers and, and the big globalist corporations, you know, it's, it's all just a smokescreen. It, it's at the end of the day. And again, I'm not saying Trump, I'm sure is in bed with him too. He says certain things, but he's also done a few things. And again, it's like Royce is saying, you know, maybe he didn't get the wall built, but I bet you people would love to see the wall built now, wouldn't they? We're going to build that wall. But listen, I want to I want to back De- Delano's point because it's important to understand the, the hierarchy of of uh, of American institutions and, and global and globalism. Um, he makes a fantastic point that the real promotion or energy is coming from the corporatocracy. But your corporations and each CEO is what they call a captain of industry. He's a captain on his ship. He's not the commander. Because none of those corporations would be able to operate unless they had working capital. The working capital, the reason why the 2009 financial crisis happened is because the banks had over leveraged themselves in a way that was corrupt. And the liquid, the, the, the working capital that keeps the lights on at all of these corporations' headquarters, I'm talking about paying the janitors, froze up. That tells you that the banks have the juice. None of these corporations could even operate unless the bank funded the daily operation. And all of them have to go bow at the throne and don't ever forget it. And they'll throw an Elon Musk or a Walton or a, a Bezos or anybody out there for you to look at. Because when the time comes that they need to cut him out, it's easy to do. You can cut out an individual, but the Hydra is about the full body. And the best way to protect the body is to keep it hidden. That's the central bank. Thank you, D. Great job Thank as always. Uh, we're going to take a breath, come back and talk about RFK and whether or not he's anti-Semitic because he thinks COVID-19 might be a targeted bioweapon. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., who's running for president on the Democrat side, made news uh, this weekend uh, when he had some interesting things to say about COVID-19. Let's play the clip and then I'll further explain. And we need to talk about bioweapons. The level, I know a lot now about bioweapons because I've been doing a book on it for the past two and a half years. And, um, uh, and you know, the, the, what we, the technology that we now have to develop these microbes, we have, we've put 
hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, ethnically targeted microbes. The Chinese have done the same thing. In fact, COVID-19, there's an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races um, disproportionately. The, uh, the, 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 the races that are most immune, immune to COVID-19 are because of the, of the structure of the, of, um, the genetic structure, of, uh, genetic differentials among different races of the, um, of the receptors of the ACE2 receptor. Um, COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and, uh, and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. And but we don't know whether it was deliberately targeted at that or not, but there are papers out there that show the, you know, the, um, the racial and ethnic differential and of impact to that. We do know that the Chinese are spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing ethnic bioweapons, and we are developing ethnic bioweapons. That's where all those labs in the Ukraine are about. They're collecting Russian DNA, they're collecting Chinese DNA, so that we can target people by race. The guy just said all the quiet parts out loud, and people have lost their mind, and I have called him anti-Semitic. There was nothing he said there that was anti-Semitic. Nothing. Anyone that say, that's a distraction. They don't want you to hear what he has to say. Man's already hard enough to understand because he's got a little speech issue or whatever. But what he said there is crystal clear. He's just quoting the science. He, after the New York Post and other people attacked him. He issued a statement over Twitter. The New York Post story is mistaken. I have never ever suggested that the COVID-19 virus was targeted to spare Jews. That's not what he just said, and he's totally accurate. I accurately pointed out during an off-the-record conversation that the U.S. and other governments are developing ethnically targeted bioweapons and that a 2021 study of the COVID-19 virus shows that COVID-19 appears to disproportionately affect certain races since the Furenklebe docking site is most compatible with blacks and Caucasians and least compatible with ethnic Chinese, Finns, and Ashkenazi Jews. In that sense, it serves as a kind of proof of concept for ethnically targeted bioweapons. I do not believe and never imply that the ethnic effect was deliberately engineered. The stu that study is here, and then he dropped the receipt, a link to the study. We had this guy here in Nashville, Royce, and I nearly, I don't know if it showed up on screen, but I nearly broke down in tears when we had him here talking about COVID. We had a bunch of people, had Senator Ron Johnson, we had John Stockton, we had an impressive group of people, Ken Maurer, NBA, your friend, buddy, impressive group of people talking about COVID-19 and vaccine injuries and Robert Kennedy talked so boldly and transparently about all issues, including what happened to his father and his uncle 
And I was like, whoa, this dude is courageous. He's putting his life on the line. He, he's, he knows exactly. If you're a Kennedy and your dad was assassinated, likely by the CIA, and your uncle was assassinated, likely by the CIA, for challenging the military-industrial complex. He said that on that show, mm -hmm. that uh, the Department of Defense is behind the vaccines. He, he, he just, That's a fact. Yeah, he just, everything. And, and so, I mean, I just nearly cried at his bravery. And to see this kind of attack for, Anyway, this guy potentially is a bigger threat to the establishment than even Donald Trump. Well, number one, every time this man is a, this man is a hero. I mean, he's a chip off the old block. And every time he speaks, the American people should listen. Every time he speaks, Donald Trump should listen and, and vice versa. Um, I've, I've already said publicly that I think the best ticket to challenge the establishment is Trump and RFK 2024. They'll never let RFK come through the democratic uh, process. They'll never let, they, he'll never want, he, he will, he should, but he will not want a primary against Joe Biden, which tells you everything you need to know about the Democratic Party and the real juice behind the new world order. If he should not be able to come through the primary process, him being a vice president under, with Donald Trump would put real American populism and the corruption that this country's had in it for 60 years, right up in the face of the establishment, and I support that. Um, is he a bigger threat to the establishment? Potentially, potentially, because the, the, the moral hazard that still hangs from the CIA, look, the military industrial complex is the juice in this country, I've said it since day one. The banks run them, they run the scam, the military industrial complex is the iron fist of the, of the financial Ponzi scheme, okay? if. This, his candidacy, his being a, a, a public figure and really coming, stepping into the limelight, rectifies the, 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 the freeze in the boomer, the boomer uh, demographic in this country when Kennedy was assassinated. So yeah, this country's been dealing with the Fed and all these different corrupt institutions for well over 100 years, but there was something specific that happened when they killed Kennedy. Uh, we had the height of these, this sort of human rights renaissance, this, this reimagining of what it meant to be America in the 60s, right? Whether it was race and some people it was women, whether it was the LGBTQ and some people would argue that involvement of that. But, but there, was, there was a time where we were questioning like, what is America gonna be? And at the pinnacle of that moment, a bright young political star had his head blown off for challenging the juice in this country. And the boomers never got over that. And, and afterward, you saw the radical materialism take off and everybody be more interested in their 401ks and their 501c3 status than in morals and, and, and national honor and sacred honor. I don't disagree, but I, I think when you put the assassinations together, Kennedy, Kennedy again, and MLK. And Malcolm. It, Malcolm, to a lesser degree. Those four, yeah. But to, to a lesser degree. Those, and, and I just say Malcolm because, uh, to a lesser degree, because, you know, Nation of Islam killed Malcolm and, and... But remember now, Hoover Hoover said that Malcolm was the most dangerous, was the, was the most 
was the most likely to ascend to the role of being the black messiah that could actually unify even more so than MLK. And then it was Fred Hampton. Then they actually whacked Fred Hampton because he was young enough to, <laughs> to, to, to do it. I don't like Fred Hampton. But I don't want to get distracted. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but regardless, I think that generation and every generation since has known what the real price for change is and has said, I don't want to pay it. Yep. And that's why, in retrospect, I look back and, and I said this privately. I never said it publicly because I think it would have been inappropriate to say publicly, but I think I can say it in the aftermath. It's like, unless they try to kill or jail Barack Obama, he ain't really do nothing. Th- th- that's, that's my take on any of these guys. Anybody that really tries to do something, they're going to either try to kill or jail. And when the whole media is singing your praises, that should tell you something. That, that, that's not, because again, as we talked about at the beginning of this show, what's Charles Barkley saying? Exactly what he's been told to say. Yeah. Everybody says what they've been told to say. And even the controlled opposition says what they're told to say. Yeah. And so there was, a loud, there was some criticism of Obama allowed on Fox News, controlled opposition, to make it look like, oh, there's a yin to the yang. But for the most part, everybody worshiped and sang the praises of Barack Obama, and that's because that's what the establishment wanted to have happen. When they killed Kennedy, that, that should have let you know in 63 who's in control, I've, I've played, and I wish if I had been more prepared, we'd play the tape again. But, but I don't know if you've ever seen the tape of Dan Rather in 1963. Uh, they showed Dan, he was just a young reporter then, mm-hmm. not a big name. Mm-hmm. They brought him in and showed him the Sapruder film. Had him go on national TV and lie and say Kennedy sprung forward and then backwards. This is on TV. You can, we, could, we could probably dig up the clip and show it to you before we get off the air. But Dan Rather went on TV and lied about the Sapruder film mm-hmm. to, to sell. And, and oh, based on that, he then goes on to build this legendary TV career where he's the new Walter Cronkite. That should tell you who's in control of the media. That these people are paid to send a certain message. And so when, and I don't care who who does or doesn't like it or whatever, but when I see all of the media, and now even the controlled opposition, Fox News, they all are saying the same thing about Trump. They're all pretty much trying to ignore RFK or take a dump on him. He's a conspiracy theory, conspiracy theorist. Those are the people that are the real threats, that are about real change and, and they're not perfect. RFK is pro-abortion, and he's got some other wacky, stu- pro-affirmative action. He's got some other stupid thoughts, but he's a real threat. And Trump's obviously not far from perfect, got some, but, but he's a real threat. And, and I just, I look at all, it's so easy to see who's in on it, who's the gimmick, who's, you know, they got you convinced that, oh, Barack Obama, he's black, and all these white people are upset that he's president. <laughs> they elected him twice, though. They love him. They love him. And, 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 
And the, you know what? Did, did we call, uh, Christian, tell me if they are, Justin, did, I wanted a graphic of the uh, TPUSA uh, straw polls that they did. Uh, and I, I see you guys have called up the Dan rather did. Did we do the graphics of the straw poll from TPUSA? Because I thought it was very fascinating. Let, let's, let's pull up that graphic. Uh, and there, there were two or three different things. I can't, oh boy, we're gonna have to, I can't, I can't see the graphics. And I'm, I'm trying to look in the camera, but th th there's, I'm gonna call it up here, cause I, I got it. I think I got, oh yeah, I still got it called up here on my laptop. But there's one, let's go, GOP president, second choice. Let's call up that one. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy is number two. People vote, and this is Donald Trump. I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy is number one. If you can't have your four, first choice, who is your second choice? Vivek Ramaswamy, number one. Yeah. Trump, number two. Ron DeSantis, three. Tim Scott, four. Perry Johnson, five. Larry Elder, six. And, and what I find interesting about all of that and, and then when I go look at the first choice, Trump is number one by a mile, Perry Johnson, Ron DeSantis, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, Tim, Squat, Tim Scott. I'm, hold on, this is the racist party that Vivek, Tim Scott, and Larry Elder are all well thought of and leading in the polls, but all these racist Republicans, they, they secretly hate these guys and wouldn't consider them. And, and all of this stuff is just a psyop. Everything we hear from the mainstream media, it's all just a mind F that they're doing on the voting public. And I just don't see how, oh, and then the other one is, uh, this is the other one, the uh, GOP vice president nominees, who people want. Carrie Lake, number one. <laughs> Byron Donalds, yeah. number two. Yeah. Vivek, number three. Tim Scott, number four. Uh-huh. A woman and three black dudes. <laughs> Carrie Lake is great. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm just, and literally what that is, the first three are just like, these are hardcore Trump supporters, Carrie Lake, Byron Donalds, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, you know, and that's why I go back to Criticizing Trump is just a mistake. Uh, it, it's stupid, and that's not me caping up for Trump. It's just trying to get people smart political strategy, and DeSantis isn't doing it. But anyway, I, I'm off on a tangent. RFK, yeah, what he represents, and and just how important he is to I think opening people's eyes. And and I'll go back to the conversation you and I were having with Del Delano. People want an outsider, man. People want someone who ain't scared, and most of these people are scared. Yeah, well, look, I, I, uh, I really like RFK. I had an incredible moment with him at the Big Three game. He showed up to Ice Cube's uh, game uh, back, I think we were in New York City, uh, to support, and then he came back in the locker room, and we talked for a moment, and, and I told him that, you know, we love him. The nation loves him. We love him. I love him because I understand what it meant for the military and the CIA to kill his uncle. Um, and, and, um, but I also told him, hey, if they sandbag you in the primary, you gotta strongly consider running for vice president. 
He didn't say yay or nay. Hopefully I have him on the podcast and we can we can poke and, and prod at that a little bit more. Um, the, 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 but let, let's deal with what he said, okay, just for a moment. The Farron Cleaver site is the signal of gain and function. This is the one thing scientifically that the entire establishment has tried to dance around. It's why if you look at any of the mainstream media, it's funny you use Dan Rather. Remember I came on the show and I said, Don Lemon wants to be Rachel Maddow, Rachel Maddow wants to be Dan Rather. Um, but, but they've tried to dance around the Farron Cleaver site because it's a, a clear signal that this was built in a lab, okay? Um, if the American people don't believe that our science has reached a place where A, we could build a virus like this in a lab, release it maybe intentionally, uh, and that it would have genetic markers, we are wholly unequipped to make sound and rational decisions about politics. I mean, we are, it, it just shows that we're in the dark. And, and that's what RFK was saying there is like, you guys have no idea how far the science has come. And it really started to ramp up after they killed his, his uncle. I mean, there was a significant increase in scientific and military partnership and collaboration and, and innovation. Um, they're controlling the weather. The CIA can put a piece of uh, food in your dressing room and you eat it and six months later you die from cancer with no trace to them, right? These, this is where we've come to and, and people have trouble uh, acknowledging it and that's why RFK is important to the race, to the narrative, to, to the entire presidential, because we need to be reminded just what our government is capable of, whether it's with vaccines or any other, other matter, right? We are, in a, we are in a war against the deep state in this country. Every American citizen that draws breath in this nation right now or around the world is at war with the deep state. And if you can't come to grips with that, you're either A in on the scam, you've been paid like Charles to talk the propaganda, or you're just seriously ignorant. I'm gonna throw another one in. And, and this comes from all this stuff I've been watching and researching and, and piggybacks off a conversation we had last week. Freemasons and people that are into the occult and all these symbols and secret societies I was watching a documentary that made the point that like, the people they have no respect for are atheists. The people that don't believe in God, they believe are the dumbest people on the planet. And so the Satanists know that there's a God and they, look, they don't look at Christians and other believers and, and laugh at them they laugh at the people that are atheists. They're like, those are the dumbest people on the planet. They don't believe that there's a higher force in control of all this. And it's these people that are atheists and or Christians of convenience who don't really believe that man's nature is wicked. Right. They're the problem. No doubt. And they sit around and go, well, I mean, Nancy Pelosi, she couldn't be X, Y, and Z. <laughs> the Clinton, they couldn't kill somebody. They're just like you and me, Martha. They would never do that. And all of history is littered with proof of what people will do for power. And killing is the least of it. 
I mean, it's the least of it, what they'll do. They, they're putting on TV shows and putting it right in your face. Game of Thrones, a very popular show, mm-hmm. the whole message of it was these George R. R. Martin and the satanic people at, at HBO say, no, you want to see what people do for power? Watch Game of Thrones. This uh, Thanos, or uh, Stannis, Stannis Baratheon. Mm-hmm. He thought he was the brother of the king that died. Mm-hmm. Set his daughter, like 12-year-old daughter, on fire, burned her at the stake to, be, to, get the, to get the throne. That was his attempt to get the throne. Burned his daughter at the stake. What, what's her name? Uh, Cersei. Cersei, yeah. Cersei. Set basically the whole city on fire. King landed on fire. Blew the city up. Yeah, blew the whole city up, set it on. And... and I know it's a fantasy deal. I know, but it's the whole show was about like people will do anything for power, and and only if you're a believer, you know man's nature is wicked, and that's why you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and try to apply those principles to combat the wickedness. The, and so this whole belief, oh, we're just born into the world and we're all just good people and the world turns us bad. It's an it's a atheist point of view that creates a naivety that makes it so you can't believe that these idiots would stick a vaccine in you that's unproven, will damage you, uh, could will kill you. could kill you, might create more autistic children. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you're so ignoring. I was reading, <laughs> I was reading something, and I, maybe I'm, I'm just way down the rabbit hole and too much of the weed, but you know, like the Amish, there's studies that the Amish kids can't find one autistic kid in the entire Amish community. They don't take vaccines, they don't <laughs> do the stuff we do. They're producing kids that aren't autistic. And we don't think there's anything to learn from them. And anybody, oh, you're anti-vax. You're a nut job. You're an anti <laughs> You're anti-vax, <laughs> anti-Semitic. Yes. That's what they're saying about RFK. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the naivety of the atheist that's destroying. And, and again, many atheists are just Christians of convenience, because there's plenty of people going to church on Sundays that think all the same naive thoughts. Oh, we're born into the world. Good. They, 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 they ignore or don't understand what's being taught to them. Many of them, and again, particularly now that uh, we've promoted this whole egalitarian point of view, we, we don't even understand, like, if you're a woman, and I'm sorry if this makes me sound sexist, but it's just facts. If you don't have some man helping you understand the gospel, you don't know a damn thing about the gospel. That's the cycle that God set up. There's supposed to be a man. You're off trying to understand it on your own and thinking, I don't need no man and I'm blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'm a baby mama and and my kid made it to the NBA and he takes care of me, proof that I don't need no man. You're an idiot and and you don't understand the world and the nature of the world and what man is capable of. And so as this society becomes more and more secular, it's so obvious what's being done, the wickedness that that's 
<laughs> you got dudes wagging their genitals in front of little kids, and they're. This is wick. This is wickedness. I don't even know if some of these people are real, Jason. I'm starting to wonder if some of these people are even real people. They might be. They might be bots. But I, I, I want to say this: um, Satan is a unif. Satan is not polarized. The the real. I want to sing a man's praise today on the show. That's certainly going to be controversial. His name is Alexander Dugan. He was one of the. He's one of the. Uh, thought leaders in the, the Russian political hierarchy, you could say, in the Russian culture. He's a very heralded Russian writer, political writer, and he's one of Putin's advisors, so they say. And I'm not a Russian apologist, and I don't know what the Russians are up to necessarily because you can't trust them. They're masters of secrecy. The KGB is a, is a testimony of that. Um, but I will say this. Alexander Dugan wrote a very, very good and insightful book called The Rise of the Fourth Political Theory which talked about Western culture and liberalism and conservatism being two sides of the same coin, two variations of liberalism. This is true. And, and, and another guy, Andrew Bustamante, who's a CIA, you know, retired CIA, you don't retire from the agency, number one, but he's retired CIA guy, you know, made a very clear statement on his podcast tour lately. The CIA is apolitical. CIA doesn't care whether you're Republican or Democrat because they can get to either one of you and squeeze you through sexual blackmail or whatever. Um, but, but I do want to say that Satan is not a polarized force. He's unified, unified in his wickedness, unified in his deception, unified in his rejection of God. He's unified. What's the greatest representation of Satan today in global politics? The American Uniparty. And the propaganda from the CIA and the mainstream media industrial complex is meant to do one thing, destabilize the American people on either side of the spectrum to keep them off balance. So you'll have people who have the right approach on free speech or the Federal Reserve and then they're off when it comes to abortion. They don't want RFK and Donald Trump to be able to find alignment. And that's a microcosm of the, of the wedge they wanna drive between the entire American public and free people everywhere. Royce, uh, the show's better when you're in studio. This was great. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, we'll play some tomorrow. And we'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all receiving, we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just.